OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Welcome to the Supporters Fund Ask an Investor. I'm your host, Jeffrey Potman. Let's please welcome Sarah Dusek from Enigma Ventures as our investor for today. Welcome, Sarah. It's a real pleasure to have you here today. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. I'm very excited today to get the opportunity to chat with you. One, because you're in South Africa. I love South Africa. And then the second point is that you've done a lot of great things from taking a company, selling it, diving into venture, and fully baked into this venture side. So we're excited to, to unpack all this and, and learn a lot more about yourself and all the great things that you're doing. So to start, maybe you can share a little bit about the background and all these great things you've done. And then one thing about you that nobody would know. Okay. Well, um, if you'd have said to me 20 years ago, Sarah Dusick, in 2022, you will be a venture capitalist. I would have laughed my head off. <laughs> so my journey into finance has, is probably quite an unusual one, actually, in that I started my journey as an NGO worker. So prior to even getting into business, um, I worked for nonprofit organizations, uh, first in Africa and then in the Far East. And so my transition into business um, was coming at business um, with the idea that uh, money, capital is the dark side. You know, it's the evil, evil side of the world and we stay away from such things. Um, but quickly realize money is really what makes the world go round. And entrepreneurs um, are the pioneers and the builders of the future. And I definitely considered myself a pioneer, even in my early 20s. And so um, after about eight years of, of working for nonprofit organizations, I really had this sort of hunger within me to build something that would solve problems. And I realized, you know, having a, a for-profit business was a was a maybe a better vehicle for driving change, solving big problems, making big things happen. So that uh, led me into entrepreneurship. And entrepreneurship, uh, in turn, led me into being the investor I am today. So one Amazing. thing that maybe was my one thing that you didn't know about me. <laughs> well, I did read up that you were in the non-for-profit. And what I love about that is that you've, you've really hit lots of different avenues in the world from going to a space where uh, the world revolves around helping people and the money somehow magically appears when you need it. And when you need it even more, you have to fight even harder to find it. And then uh, you, you get out into the real world and say that, wow, the whole world runs off this uh, capital. How do I jump into this and make things work a lot smoother? One, one of the cool. things that you, I love it. I love it. Well, it was interesting that when you said that if we asked you this 20 years ago, if you'd be a venture capitalist in uh, one thing that I can relate to is, I was in the same boat. I never really focused on people that had money, just figured I would be a solutionist and everything. And then when I was putting together my first company, I actually wrote down on this spreadsheet or the bubble thing, and you write it down, put it in a drawer. Six years ago, I found it. And this was before I started the company. And on it, I had a venture capital that I wanted to do this arm. And I was like, oh my, jumping. I had no idea. Wow. 
Wow. So somehow I must have come across yeah. this 20 years ago, and I don't know how I did because I don't even know how I knew about venture capital. So uh, I guess somehow it uh, magically appeared there, maybe uh, through osmosis while I was sleeping or something. But uh, fascinating how you transition into these spaces and and what you uh, what you bring to the table. And I, I think uh, I want to kind of jump back into the non for profit side and. Maybe when you were going through this non-for-profit side and, and working with the NGOs, and it's obviously quite popular, especially in uh, the African continent, what were some of the takeaways that you kind of built up from that? Because you were coming in it from a law perspective, so I'm sure you're very detail-oriented, and everything is probably very logistically broken down, and then you're going into this space where a lot of unknowns can happen all the time. Were you able to utilize a lot of what you had built on, what you went to school with and all those things as you kind of propelled your way through this NGO space? Or was it just so randomly new and a total different experience? Yeah, I actually, I mean, you're, you're right. I trained as a lawyer and I actually use my my law training more in my day-to-day life now than I, than I certainly did when I first started out uh, working for NGOs. And so at the time, I remember thinking this was that was a whole waste of time, um, but it certainly wasn't a waste of time. And, and it's been very valuable to me uh, more recently. But I think, yeah, the NGO world, um, I was disillusioned by the NGO world after sort of six or seven years of working in that space, because what I realized was um, most people who work in that space really are um, trying to save the world. I mean, we are in that space because we're trying to be a solution to some of the world's biggest problems um, or small problems or large problems. I mean, it's it's about trying to trying to do good and trying to drive change. And one of the most frustrating things was feeling like, gosh, we're just bandaging. And obviously, you know, the world is a needy place. And so we we have to, to bandage needy people and needy situations. But can we? Can we any solve any problems? So I always felt like we're not really getting to the root of trying to solve anything. And when I was in Africa, for example, I, I did a lot of AIDS education work and health education um, and the AIDS epidemic and crisis kind of had imploded in the world at that time. And I just remember thinking, I don't <laughs> You know, we're doing it. We're spending a lot of energy and and doing a lot of work. And I don't know if we're getting to the heart of the problem. And, you know, I don't know the root of that problem, for example, even if you ask me now. But um, there are so many factors at play, even with that that one particular issue. And and it needs a whole variety of solutions to to solve for it. And I just remember feeling like. I don't know that we are, this is the right vehicle to solve anything long-term and make a big, big inroad in driving change. You find that the reason that was is because they're always running at a hundred miles an hour because the problems are so deep and so happening so fast that you're running beside the problem and you don't really have the time to slow down. So you're repairing in while running and it is a repair. You're not able to slow down and say, let's hold on a second here. The root of the problem is X. Now let's try to go after that. And because it's always a, a, a running machine going so quickly, you're not able to jump in. So the focus is very spread out. Yeah, absolutely. I do think that. And I do think the the problem with um, nonprofit organizations is you constantly need um, funding for the work that you're doing. And when you 
you know, funding in the nonprofit space is, is, you know, whatever is sexy at the time is getting, getting the money. And so when you don't have a sustainable solution for solving your own problem, you are reliant on outside donors. You are reliant on people to still keep seeing your problem as the sexy problem for solving. Um, and so the lack of sustainability around that and the longevity of what it takes to really make something happen and, and drive change uh, is complex. So there, there is, there is, you know, so many issues there. But for me, I just felt like, um, could we actually, you know, that's the very heart of what a business does: is it takes a problem tries to solve it in a particular way for a particular person uh, with a sustainable solution because it has to be profitable if it's going to su- going to survive and going to continue. And that's what I love about business. The, the vehicle of business is just the, the energy around this has to be self-propelling. This has to sustain itself. This has to be um, ongoing um, and and solve a real problem for someone. Otherwise, no one's gonna, no one's gonna spend any money on it, on it, on it, on the solution. Um, and so that's what I love about businesses and and even the businesses that we're working with today. Um, and you you said I I have a venture capital fund in South Africa, and we are focused on investing in women led and founded businesses. So we're actively seeking to empower women to solve the problems that they can see um, and create opportunities for them to have access to capital um, to empower them to do that. Um, so, and that's, that's exciting. That's exciting work. It is. And I think a lot of the times, sometimes I guess, as we're running through life, we, we don't realize, but a lot of the things that we do early on tend to be what we go back to. So you started off working an NGO and helping people and helping big problems, but maybe not getting the connections that you wanted to, to really solve them because in a way we're just a cog in a big machine wheel in that sense. And then you pulled yourself out and decided I need to make this change. And I think you probably gained a lot of learning and a lot of uh, support mechanism and probably connections around the space. So you decided to jump in and create your own business um, and you raised capital to, to enable this business. Can you share a little bit about that journey and, and what, what decided, what was your decision to jump into the business? And then what decided you to, that you needed to raise funds versus just, you know, build the business yourself? Yeah. Well, I was a reluctant business jumping into business. I was definitely reluctant, as I said, um, but the the final sort of penny dropped for me that business could be a force for good, that business could be you know used to drive change and do good in the world. So that's how I approached business. Um, and my husband and I, you know, realized when we started to think about businesses as an amazing vehicle, we started to think, well, we don't know anything about running a business. We've never done this before. Um, so I came into business with the idea of I've got to learn. Um, if I'm going to be able to use business as a vehicle for good, I've got to learn the mechanics of how you build a business, how you scale a business, how you grow a business. And so we really dove right in. Uh, and my husband and I built a company in uh, the US together called Under Canvas, which was taking the safari concept from Africa and bringing it to uh, incredible outdoor places in the US. And um, we wanted to prove this idea that you could create access um, to incredible places by 
not destroying them. So could we do development in a much more sustainable way? Could we create a light footprint on the earth? Could we educate folks about sustainability and leaving no trace and minimal water usage and um, being zero waste and all these kind of um, environmental ideas? And we so we pioneered a very small business. Um, and as I said, I didn't even know what venture capital was. So we certainly weren't thinking about building a business and raising capital right out of the gate. We were trying to find a business solution that would be sustainable, i.e. that would, would work and that people would pay for and would be profitable. And we went through a couple of different iterations before we got to the elusive product market fit. Um, not knowing though that what the terminology for product market fit was at the time. Um, but uh, within three years, we we it took us three years to get to that that elusive place, and we finally ended up with a business model that could work, um, and that we were really getting some traction with, and really um, felt that could be scalable and that we could grow it and actually could be something of real substance. Because the interesting thing for me was my my early realization was if your motivation is impact and driving change you can't stay small <laughs> you can't think small if your real motivation is to make a big difference in the world so i had to think we had to start to think about how do we build a big business not just a small small little lifestyle business um, so that led us on a journey of discovery and of realizing yes you're going to definitely need more money if you're going to try and play with the big boys um, and that was when we, we, we were maybe six years in when we realized we've got to raise some capital to grow our own business and scale it. Now oh, that's great. And, and a great story that you actually worked as a team partnership to work through these problems, which were building a big problem to solve and then iterating and iterating to get to that year three. And then again, probably continuing to iterate and look at the scaling. And you mentioned scaling in a, a few different areas. What does scaling mean to you? Because I think this is a word that gets thrown around quite a bit, even if it's an early stage company there. Oh, you're scaling. I've got two people, so I'm not scaling. Um, so, but you're telling me I have to scale. So how am I scaling when I'm two people? But you tell me, so can you share what scaling means and how an entrepreneur can look at scaling? Because you're bang on that anybody that wants to invest Usually you take capital when you're trying to scale and that's kind of the note, like if you want to be large and as you mentioned, play with the big boys and play be competitive, you take some capital. But can you kind of share a little bit about what that was for you that said, we're scalable now, we've got the right model, let's get some capital. Yeah, I think there's a couple of different ways to think about scale and scale is um, nobody does zero to hero in one leap, right? Scaling is about putting building blocks in place that you you go from here and then here and then here and then here and then here and here. Um, but the the when you're starting is do you the big question is do you have something that a lot of people could access? So could a lot of consumers use it? Could a lot of people use your service or buy your product or use your platform or whatever? So even when you're at sort of this figuring out product market fit, you know, your, your minimal viable product, your the, the, the earliest version of your product, 
you already should be thinking about, is this something that more than, you know, 10 friends and me will ever want to use or pay for or buy? And for us, we, we started to think about scale when we had a replicable model. So I didn't have a tech business. And so it's slightly different when you're in, you're in tech and when you're in a, in a different kind of business. But I started thinking about, is there a, is there a business model here that has a replicable pattern? So, um, and for example, you could take this with retail, for example, um, I've got one store that like knocks it out of the park and it's incredible. And we, we're the only people who sell this, do this, you know, package this or whatever, could we do that same thing in 500 other places? That's that's thinking about scale. Um, for tech, when you've got a platform, for example, you're thinking about could could the offering that we offer today be used by a million people? And could we put the building blocks in place um, to help us grow our customer base to acquire a lot of consumers, a lot of users? And that really is all that scale is. It's it's replicating what you've got um, in a larger fashion that more people can use and access your services. And that replication to me sounds very much looking at how can I commercialize this business and how can I set it up so that if one day I'm ex exit from this business, that these building blocks are in place, that these components are really transactable, easy, that anybody can implement from a licensing model all the way across to just being able to operate stores in many cities. So you're really trying to replicate that single process that refined it so much to make the fastest, quickest conversion to allow you to make money. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think that pretty much pretty much nails it. So in that time frame that you were doing this, obviously you did it very well and you were able to continue to replicate and build this out. When you started to get in front of investors, now I'm going to take a guess and say that this was probably in the around 2010. Was that around the time that you were looking at capital or a bit later than a little that? Bit, little bit later. It was um, 2015, 16. So this was kind of the, I guess the world was just starting to open up a lot more on the capital side. It came after 2007's financial crisis. Everybody was dumping money into everything. Uh, there yep. was a lot of groups starting up everywhere. So the, the world was pretty heavy in cash flow for venture capital, that is. So yep. now you're approaching these venture capitalists. You're coming in it from, um, I guess, a service model versus a pure tech play. So you are yep. going against the wave of how everybody looks at scaling money. Uh, what was your experience as a female founder diving into the tech world and trying to build up capital for the model that you had started to replicate? Yeah, I heard no a lot. No and me became my best friend. And it it used to, I mean, it just made me cry. I mean, quite frankly, it was so depressing um, because I kept hearing, you're not tech, so we don't invest in anything that's not tech. And it took me a long while to figure out, oh, there are, there are other types of investors. There's not one type of investor. And I certainly lumped all capital into one pot um, and thought that everybody was the same. And that's definitely not true. You've got investors that specialize in all sorts of different niches. I mean, you can probably guarantee it that if you're thinking it and doing it, there is an investor that specializes in, in your thing <laughs> because, because that, that there are so many different types 
niches, types of money, types of return. Um, you know, there's long-term capital, there's impact capital, there's shorter-term venture capital. There's, I mean, the spectrum is enormous. So for an entrepreneur, that's super confusing, right? And and really hard to navigate when you don't know what's up. So it's certainly worthwhile um, getting some advice um, from someone who has connections to the to the investment world and asking, you know, how do I how do I fit? Do I fit? Do I have a business model that fits in in anybody's bucket <laughs> or am I building something that I need to fund with with debt and go to a traditional bank? Um, how where do I fit? Where do I have something that's 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 investable in? And we've spent a lot of time over the last 18 months in particular helping people understand what an investable company looks like. Because that for me was was really where I started from. Do I have something that's investable? And whilst I heard a lot of no's from tech investors, I eventually found folks um, who loved a, they loved family businesses, and my husband and I were in business together. They loved what they called multi-site businesses. So that's anything that is location-specific, that has multiple you know, replications of location. And they loved doing deals where they could put some debt to work and some equity. And so equity being you know, owning shares in your company with you. And um, that, was, that was a magic fit for me, but I, I must have gone through... Uh, Dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of, of no's to finally get a, a yes. And one of the secrets I learned along the way um, was that there are magic people in this world called brokers. And brokers do exactly this. They help people, help entrepreneurs broker deals with investors and try and find you um the right kind of capital for your right kind of business. And when you're not super connected, i.e. you're not sat in Silicon Valley and you don't have an Ivy League education and maybe uh, you're you're not friends with the last founder who built the last unicorn, um, having an inside insider help you um, connect with the right people can be really valuable. Totally agree with that. And, and that's some great knowledge to share to founders is that people always say, make sure you know your audience when you're pitching them. And I mm. think a lot of the times we just pitch and then we realize that, and I think it's great that you got those many no's because most people don't get any no's because they don't get any response. So you're yeah. lucky that you got the no's. At least you knew you were in the wrong spot and you could eventually pivot to the right uh, investor yeah. side. But True. from that, I think it's very knowledgeable to share that, you know, even though you're reaching out to everybody, do your homework on the investor to find out, do they invest in this stage because stage or vertical, because if yep. you're going to pitch them and they're not going to give you any valuable insight and I think the other time. side that, yeah. And it's not just the, um, the no that you're looking for, but they might start giving you feedback and their feedback could really damage your outlook on your business because they're giving you feedback for a category or a vertical that you're not even in because they feel yep. guilty not helping you. So I think there's a lot of mismatch that can occur. And I love that your secret tool there was brokers. I think that that is super valuable. Um, and I think the other side too is when you start to look at statistics, the number of companies that are funded every year from venture capital, from angels is so minimal. 
Family and yeah. friends are the number one, 78% of investments are done through them before the, you know, the 8% of angels and 3% of venture capital. So you really have a really small community and you really do need to do some homework to make sure that you're really hyper-focused. If your business is focused, I think your investment thesis of who you're going after should be just equally as focused. Now, taking the, obviously building this out and going after the capital and finding the support. And I love the fact you found a group that supported family side and, and businesses that were scalable through the type of model you created. I remember years ago, a, a non-for-profit came to me and she said, I want to build a non-for-profit. I've got this, it's doing this. I want all this money. And well, there is a group that will invest that way, but you're also in a very tough space because non-for-profits don't typically sell and they don't work that way. So you're going to have to find a way to, to manage that model. So as you guys were reaching out and continuing to grow and finding ways to build revenue models and build up what you're doing, did you find that at some point tech investors were coming back because now you did use tech yeah. to start to expand? So your first investor was yeah. really in the meat of things of what you're doing, but the next investor started to unfold more and say, wait a second, this is a bigger tech play. We're more interested today. Well, that's that's the interesting thing about venture capitalists too, which which I'll tell you all. The other, my other secret is that once someone is invested in you for the first time, a whole lot of other people will now be really interested because investors really aren't that smart, right? <laughs> um, they we let the cat out of the bag. I'm not sure what I'm going to say there. We're going to have to yeah, edit no, this part don't out. Tell everyone. <laughs> but the you know the in making an investment is a risk, right? Because you're basically making a bet on someone and a business. Those two things, uh, you know, maybe the founding team and the business itself. Um, and so when, a, when someone else has made a bet on a business and has someone else has validated, this is really a thing. It is easier for other investors to, to want to even look at an idea when they might have been hesitant previously, because someone else has already thought, Oh no, this is valid. This is a thing. Um, and, and has put some money in already. So that, you know, they say money begets money and it, and it is true. Um, but a lot of it is about proving, proving yourself and, you know, and finding ways in which other people, you can get sort of proof points uh, into your business and for yourself that allow people to, to feel more confident um, is, a, is really helpful. And you, you know, you don't, there are lots of ways to do that other than just by having someone invest. But even, you know, as you're talking about friends and family, even the amount of money you and your friends and family have backed your own idea is significant, right? Um, I know when I uh, get pitched all the time and founders have not, you know, sacrificed a single thing, they've put no money, they've not taken any risks. It's like, what, why on earth would I take a risk on you when you haven't even, you haven't given up your day job, you know, you, you know, haven't mortgaged your house, you, you know, you haven't sold a car, you, you know, your third child is not mortgaged, you know, I'm joking. Um, but, you know, have you taken any risks yourself? Um, and that's valid. That's a proof point, right? You know, I'm willing to put everything I've got on the table and make this happen because I really believe in it that much. And, you know, that's, that's 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 really what investors are looking for is it can we are you believable is your business believable and have other people believed in you um and does that does that help create some validity for getting people confident to believe you too 
love it. And there's also, I guess, the um, I guess in that stream of people accepting and jumping in and the first investor in, and all of these little pieces that help de-risk your business, uh, there's also the side of, and you mentioned that that one investor that really took a liking to what you did because they were already in that space. Is it possible, and even at an early stage, that you start to look for advisors or coaches that have that 30-year uh, experience and get them on the board, get them on that uh, pitch so that people can resonate with that experience. Um, do you think that carries a lot of weight for where entrepreneurs should be going? I do think it carries weight. I think having recognizing that you need experienced advisors on your team is another really great sort of flag in your camp because you recognize, you know, I don't know it all. And I need people around me who do have expertise that I don't have. So the faster that you can do that, because, you know, investors are often looking at your teams. What what level of experience do you have in your team? And when you're starting out, maybe you're tiny. I mean, maybe there's just three of you or four of you. Um, so the more the more sort of expertise you can put in the pot, definitely the better. And I used to say that all the time to people. I say, you know, when I when I interacted with someone who I liked and who had given me really great pieces of advice, I said, could I list you as one of my advisors? And they said, well, what does that require? And I said, well, nothing really, other than saying you'll pick up the phone to me when I call you or answer my email or text message if I'm asking a question. But it, it creates validity for me saying, I have these people who know things about things that I don't necessarily know and have experience that I don't necessarily have that are in my camp. Um, and that's that's definitely really valid for sure. It sounds like doing that type of approach with the companies you work with today or even with yourself when you were starting your business, I'm going to take a guess that that first investor you still talk to, that they're still part mm. of your network. You still yeah. communicate with them because All that's the what relationships are, right? They're building a relationship. So that first person that really got you, I'm sure that they're still high, held high in priority because they understood you. So yeah. is that really the start of how, how communication or how relationships are really built and how they yeah. can help you in the rest of your life? And that's how you build great networks. Absolutely. And I, there was an early, an early debt investor um, prior to sort of us raising any really large scale in, institutional capital. And he he gave us a, a loan when when no one else would loan us anything. I mean, he really, really took a big, you know, pot shot on us and and really you know took a liking to the idea that we had and and made us a loan and and took a warrant for some stock in our company so if we'd have been you know nothing would have happened and he would have got nothing but um i'm still friends with him to this day and when i was raising capital for enigma ventures i reached out to him and said okay i'm gonna go again what do you think are you in and he's like yeah of course i'm in and uh and that's that's amazing right so you know building that that group of people that, you know, believed in you once and you proved yourself and um, want to go on another journey with you, you know, is great. It's really great. Amazing. And you, you do you want to follow the people that are winning and they're doing a great job. And even if they have a down round, you're still excited to be part of that journey because now you've built a relationship with that person and you want to support them as best as you can. And I think that all of those parts really do drive into that. And, you know, even from the coaching and the pitch things that you guys do, all of those things build out a community, they build out relations, they build out an interest. How important is the idea being pushed across to investors versus 
the relationships you see that they've built on their deck. Like I, a lot of investors will say that I'll invest in a A team and a B product. Is that something that you would mm-hmm. agree to and, and why? Yeah, if you'd have asked me maybe 18 months ago, I would have said, nah. Um, 18, uh, two years in to being an investor, I would say, yes, definitely. <laughs> because what I have learned um, the hard way, um, which is so obvious, but um, great businesses, as brilliant as a business idea is, requires execution. And so businesses don't grow, businesses don't scale, nothing happens in a business without somebody or some bodies executing on the idea and actually making it happen. And, you know, and the reality is that ideas and talk are pretty cheap. Um, People who can actually execute are the minority one. And the, the struggle is, you know, finding those gems and groups of people who really can make things happen. And absolutely, it would be better to have an average idea that was executed flawlessly that develops and, you know, becomes more over time than it would be to have, you know, the next incredible new idea that no one's ever thought of before and nobody be able to actually make that happen. So, yeah, 100%. A lot of great ideas get invested and fail because they don't have the proper execution. So well, exactly. I think that you're bang on with that. You know, businesses require execution. And if you can't execute, there's not much there to a business. No, unfortunately. <laughs> well said, well said. I, I, that's brilliant. I think it makes a huge difference to founders. I think everybody goes in looking at their business, thinking they've got to be perfect. This has got to be the best. And they, you know, sometimes they'll, Uh, avoid having that great team to support what they're doing. And then their idea just takes forever to build. So I think you've, uh, you really kind of hit the nail on the head with that. And I think people should focus a lot more on the execution and that goes from follow-up to making sure that investors have what they need. Everything is about timely and making sure that everybody can get behind what you're doing. So I was just going to conclude by saying, you know, execution really is, the rub of where it's at in terms of um, you can't raise money without having executed, right? So, you know, every stage of the journey of, of scaling really depends on the team's ability to execute on the vision that they had in the first place. Keeping that motivation going and, and driving that business forward. Absolutely. So now that you've, um, and you've jumped into this, it sounds like you've had some great learnings over the years of running a venture firm, which is awesome. Uh, and I'm excited because I think you said this in one of your interviews is that there needs to be more women and you were yourself saying that you wanted to go into a space that just didn't have a lot of women invest and being able to see yourself on the other side of the table, which brings a lot of value, not only to the founder, but to the, the room of investors, seeing that there's more ideas and there's more people at the table uh, creates a nice equal balance. So now that you've kind of taken that ship and run it forward and started to look for female-based founders uh, and groups, how are you finding that is working out? Are you finding that you're getting a lot of 
female founders and male founders coming to you saying, hey, man, why can't you invest in me? You're a great investor. Why can't I get a piece of this? So is there is there kind of a lot of that going on? I would suspect there is because there's not a lot of investors in African continent. Um, and it's amazing that you are doing this. But how are you kind of balancing your way through and ensuring that um, everybody's getting uh, equal opportunity at Sarah and team to uh, to invest in them? Yeah, well, one of the things that frustrated me when I went out to raise capital and really my own venture capital journey has been formed by my frustrations of being an entrepreneur dealing with venture capitalists. So um, trying to fix what what uh, was frustrating and broken on, on my end. And one of the things was so few women. I mean, I think maybe I encountered one, maybe two female uh uh, VCs in my whole sort of, and you know, trying to raise capital journey. So very, very male dominated, um, which, you know, really is the crux of the problem of why more women are not getting funded, right? There's an unequal balance. Um, and it's, it's true. We like to invest in what we can understand. We like to invest in people like us. Um, we like to feel like we've got a connection because at the end of the day, this is a marriage. You know, you, you you invest in a company, you become a partner with that founder, quite literally become a partner with that founder. And so, you, you know, you do need to have something in common or be connected or like them. Um, and, you know, often we, we can't understand, you know, ideas or problems that don't resonate with us. So it's that's why diversity is really good. Um, for the with investors in particular is because you know if we don't have uh, people of color or women at the table we're going to have a very small subsect of people getting capital to build the future that of the world that we all live in and that's how I think about you know investing is investing is building for the future it's building the technology it's building our systems it's building our world it's building our culture by what gets built through through the ideas of entrepreneurs and so my own journey was like, well, if I sell my, <laughs> if I sell my company, you know, we've got some capital, I really think it's really important that more women get in the ring um, and more women start um, holding a hand out to help other women rise too, because it's really important that we all sit at the table and sit to the table together. So that was my primary um reasoning and then my sort of my my second bugbear was a bit like what we talked about earlier it's really hard if you are not well connected to even get a meeting you know you said i was privileged to have pitched i definitely was privileged to have got meetings right um and so if you are not connected you are not in the bubble getting a meeting getting in front of people is really really hard so one of the things you know, and a lot of women are not even thinking about raising capital to grow and scale their businesses. They, they're just like I was, was not even aware that this whole industry existed and that I needed it. And so one of the things we have done um, is we hold open applications three times a year. So you can go on our website. In fact, right now, April, uh, coming to the end of the month uh, when we're recording and you can go on my website and fill out our application form, two minute form, uh, not overly complicated, not overly difficult and apply for funding and see well, one, see if you're eligible, if you've got a business that's eligible and two, make an application. And we have seen over the last year, uh, 
in the last year, we maybe saw 8,000 applications for funding in one year. So people also told me that there are no women building businesses and there will be no women to invest in, which is absolutely not true. <laughs> um, so it's, it's a case of how do we um, raise awareness for women and help women understand what it a, takes to think big and why they should think big in the first place. Why bother, Why should they build big businesses? Because um, it's hard. So why should anyone do that? Why does it matter that women do that? And two, how do we make it accessible so that more women can easily do that um, without it being um, a, a, a networks game or a who, who knows who and do I know the right things? Can we help you know the right things and can we help you get in front of people and might give you some money? Love it. No, that's a great, uh, great journey to be on. And I think at this point too, it's, it's really um, a, a lot of people coming to the table to help these founders better understand how to uh, isolate what the real problem is and then understand how to scale a business. And I know we chatted what scaling was, but I think it's guiding them to help build those building blocks so that they can look at their business and see that this is something that can be a hundred times bigger than where it is today. And I think sometimes we all lack the vision of where something can go and that outside party or investor can help businesses see that. And that's again, by helping them shape the problem. Uh, and I think that would make a big difference when a lot of founders, female founders, that is, tend to just enjoy the process of building it and look at probably the scaling of it being a, more of a difficult thing than uh, a way that with more hands make less work and that there's a really good opportunity to drive something successful and amazing. And having mm -hmm. someone like yourself being a leader in this space, doing it once yourself and now helping many do it, it's a pretty exciting journey you're on. Yeah, it's hugely exciting. And I think women women don't necessarily even imagine that they can build something bigger than they've got because they're super heads down in the business, you know, utilizing the resources that they've got, plodding on, building something great without stepping back and realizing, that actually, if I put some fuel in the tank, and really that's what venture capital is, it's just fuel, um, could, could, could I grow 10 times bigger than I am today could, you know, because they often imagine that's just 10 times more work than you're already doing. And I'm already doing way too much work. Um, and that's not how scaling works. Right. Um, but that's often the mindset is I can't take on any more than I'm already doing because what I'm already doing is too much. Um, and scaling and putting capital to work is about thinking about building great teams, people around you, to make things happen um, and removing yourself and removing yourself from the day-to-day -day, um, making it happen piece to actually execute on a much bigger vision. I love it. I love it. And I think you should kind of just post that right there and have that shared across all of the sites that uh, you run and operate, because that is really defining how uh, women, but people in general should also look at their business because I think there's the fear and everybody wants capital but capital yeah. for status quo isn't really going to cut a venture capital's check. It, it really has to be uh, well planned out on how you're going to take this from, you know, a million to a uh, hundred million. So uh, I think that's amazing. Appreciate it. I love it. Uh, we're going to kind of transition a little bit more now into one of those uh, heartfelt moments, a story that you can share about maybe one of your founders and what it took or what she or he went through to become a rock star in the process of building a company. 
if you have a story that you could share, I think that'd be great. I would love to share a story about one of my female founders and she's in Zambia um, and she is building a, um, a bank for the unbanked. So she is servicing uh, customers who live on less than $5 a day and creating access to capital for them, creating financial services products for them, such as payments, insurance, savings products. Um, she's really becoming um, uh, an incredible, incredible bank. Um, and a huge percentage of people in Africa have no access to financial services, are not banked, so i.e. don't have a bank account, um, which really excludes them from operating in any other world than an, in a cash society. And we all know, most of us know, we all rely on some form of credit in one way or another, right? Whether we've got a mortgage or a car loan or some insurance or, you know, we all need credit of some kind. And um, the people at the bottom of the, of the socioeconomic tier literally have virtually no options. So she's building a, an incredible bank for them. And when she started, she made enormous sacrifices. She had been working with a, a previous company and decided she was going to go out and launch this thing that she had a vision for uh, in her own mind and sold her car, uh, moved her, moved house, moved into a smaller house so she could get herself some startup capital to actually start moving in this space and testing out her ideas and using her own money. Um, and within 18 months, um, she has done over two and a half million dollars of revenue in 18 months. And this is this is servicing clients who live off uh, have less than five dollars a day of income. So she is doing extraordinary well. I mean, she's not only is she creating a very viable, very um, uh, um, amazing, profitable business. But she's also tackling really, really hard problems of solving systemic poverty um, and connecting to um, a problem that if we if we don't solve, it's, you know, it's 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 more of the same for millions and millions and millions of people. And, and she's trying to tackle that one person at a time, one one financial service product at a time. Um, and and creating a whole new economy that has never existed before amongst that people group. So that's super exciting to be involved with. She's empowering women, empowering women in business and trading, and it's super exciting. And the momentum, and the she's she's like a race. She's literally like a, a racehorse. She just is going for it uh, every single day. And I am so so proud of her because she it's, she's extraordinary in every way. Amazing. And that is a great story. And I think all of the African continent countries could use a rock star like her that, yeah. that know what it takes to do and, We're and jump into she's business. Continent wise. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. No, that's brilliant. I love it. Great story. Um, okay. We're going to jump into rapid fire questions and okay. thank you for sharing that. So uh, pick one or the other, obviously coming in from a business perspective for an investor. Founder or co-founder? Okay, I got to clarify the question. I'll, I'll try and be faster on the others. Have I got to be one or? If you're an investor, are you choosing a founder or a co-founder? Um, I'm choosing the founder. Okay, unicorn or four-year 10X exit? Okay, tech or CPG? Tech. NFT or Web 3.0? Web. 
AI or blockchain? AI. First time founder or second, third time founder? First time. First money in or series A? First money in. Angel or VC? VC. Board seat or observer? Board. Safe or convertible note? Convertible. Lead or follow? Lead. Equity or interest payments? I like both. <laughs> I'll pick equity, but I like both. Okay. Okay. Uh, favorite part of investing? Our people. People, people, people. Number of companies invested per year? Uh, the most we've done in one year is eight. Perfect. Preferred terms? Uh, I don't know that I've got preferred terms. I am still, I my big thing that I'm trying to solve is can I beat venture capital statistics? So this is the competitor in me. Venture capital statistics are that, you know, maybe one or two are unicorns and everyone else fails or is very mediocre. Um, I don't like that. So I want to see more women succeed. And I want to think about how we create alternative versions of capital into businesses that allow more more business to become unicorns, however we define a unicorn. I like to define it in impact and, and return. Um, but how, how do we do, how do we make capital work better for more people so that more people can succeed? I love it. Same reason I got into it was to change the stats to felt the same thing. How can someone invest in a category that's one out of 10? <laughs> like, yeah. This isn't an investable category. This is the last category. Um, yeah, they'll try to prove it wrong, but it's very tough. It's very tough. It is hard. It is hard. And we've got to fail along the way to find the solutions. And that's part of the journey of being an entrepreneur is can you, can you fail enough in order that you can succeed? And uh, I, we've got to get good at failing in order to find great solutions. Totally agree with that. Uh, verticals of focus? Uh, I am sector agnostic. Love it. Two qualities a startup needs to stand out for you to take a look at them. Um, really great traction of some kind. So whether that's users or monetary, or they've just they made they made a lot of pro they've made progress with with a little that they've made a little go a long way, um, and that they're really all in, like that they are really hungry, that they're driven and obsessed by what they're trying to do. Love it. All right, personal side, book or movie? Book. Superman or Batman? Superman. Restaurant or picnic? Oh, I like both. But restaurant. <laughs> I like Five service. minutes with Bezos. <laughs> All right. Five minutes with Bezos or Oprah? Oprah, hands down. Love, love it. Mountain or beach? Beach. Bike or run? Uh, bike. With some Big power. With some electric power. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. Yeah, those are good. We have a we have a, a portfolio company that does electric bikes. Yes. Big Mac or Chicken McNuggets? Uh Big Mac. Trophy or money? I don't like either, actually. <laughs> What's the next one? Tro trophy or money? <sighs> money, because then you can go buy a trophy. Good logic. Beer or wine? Wine. Camera or mobile phone? Mobile phone, because they've got a camera in them. 
King or rich? Um, kings don't have a lot of power, so rich. You mean people asking questions when you're a king? <laughs> Concert or amusement park? Um, yeah, the latter. Fortune cookie, birthday cake? Birthday cake. TED Talk or book reading? Uh, book reading. Most famous person that pops in your mind? Obama. The last podcast I just did said the same. Ah, it's pretty famous. Well, you know why that? You know why that is, though. Not only is he famous, he also just released a new Netflix show about That's national good. parks. So he's like, he's in our Netflix stream. So when you're in our Netflix stream, <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> that is true. Okay. Uh, favorite book? Ah, oh, the Bible. I am a lover of the wisdom of ancient biblical literature. I like it. Great answer. Favorite movie and what character would you play? Ah, I love Field of Dreams uh, with Kevin Costner because if you build it, they will come. Um, so I would play the, the, the little child who, oh, believes, awesome. who believes. You can see the okay. see the ghosts. I can see them moving in and out of the cornfield. Yeah. Favorite sports team? Um, not a big sports uh, lover, but uh, my family would kill me if I didn't say Man United. You mean Arsenal? I think they were trying to tell you to say Arsenal. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> not Arsenal. <laughs> uh, first brand that pops into your mind? Um, Spanx. Ah, nice. It's a good company. Hmm. Incredible female entrepreneur. Did amazing things. Agreed. Agreed. Read lots of stuff on her. She's done a great job and now continues to support and do a lot of great things. So very empowering. Yeah, she does. Favorite app you're using on your mobile phone today? Whew. Uh, not a big app user. Um... But I have used Noom recently, actually, for what well, Noom is a relatively new app for managing and understanding how you eat and being mindful about how you eat and exercise and be healthy. Um, and I quite like that. Noom, I'm going to check that out. Cool. Noom. What is the meaning of success to you? Uh, that's easy. Um, success is making a difference, um, leaving a lasting impact. Um, yeah, doing something meaningful that will last. All right, the last question. What is your superpower? What is my superpower? I think I got two, can I have two? Yes, 100%. I'm a You'll be the first one to have two. That's my superpower, having more than you asked for. <laughs> more than you're allowed. No, um, I'm a dreamer. Um, I think I can I can see and connected with that. I think I'm an inspirer. So I like to inspire people to see what they what I can see. Um, so I think those two go together. Love it. I think with your background and all the great things that you've done, I believe that a lot of people would see the future that you see in them. And I think that it's empowering people to be better people and be better at business and being able to see where they can go. And I love it. So I would say that, uh, awesome. 
more people need more people like you supporting them so that they can see where they need to go and you're going to help them take them there. Thank you. In saying that, thank you very much for all your time today, Sarah. It was brilliant to get to chat with you and learn more about everything about yourself and all the great things that you guys are up to. And the way we like to end our show is we like to give you the last word. So anything that you can share to investors or to founders, I turn it over to you, but thank you again for all your time today. Oh, it's been my absolute pleasure being here. It's been so much fun. Haven't had this much fun on a podcast in ages. It was great. Um, my lasting, my last word, I guess, both as investors and entrepreneurs is make it count. Make what you do count for building a better world. I love it. I can't even write that fast, but make it count. Great make way to it. end it. I love it. Thank you very much, Sarah. Have a fantastic day. Thank you. You too. Bye. Okay, that was awesome. I, I really enjoyed the journey that Sarah went on because, again, it's a little bit different uh, being in the NGO space than jumping into uh, building her own company doing it with her husband and really building up a strong, strong business, going for venture capital and then exiting from that company and then turning another page and jumping into the venture capital space and being out there helping women across the African continent, building companies and helping them expand and learn and being able to take their business somewhere where they probably didn't envision. Uh, I think that's amazing on all the great things that Sarah has been able to uh, build up and how she's been able to help a lot of founders. So really great, great insights. And I think as she mentioned, being able to utilize that background from her legal side and the NGO side really has uh, helped her. And I think a lot of the stuff around um, motivation, impact, and just getting things done. Execution. Execution is the best way to prove to people that you're ready for capital and for scaling. In saying that, Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this conversation, please feel free to share with your friends or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Spotify, Apple, and or Stitcher. Your support and comments are truly appreciated. You can also check us out at supportersfund.com or for startup events, visit opn.ninja. Thank you and have a fantastic day.